Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. Well, we have a great program tonight. Please listen to this clip on the personal nature of having a relationship with God. The Bible says that the Word of God is powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. I want you to think of the power of the Word of God and how the Word of God is limited with its power. Now, you think of it for a moment. Now, the world was made by the Word of God. The heavens were framed by the Word of God. Psalm 33, 6 and Hebrews 11. Now then, creation was established by the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is the only thing that can save man from hell and save man from himself once he is saved. Creation cannot limit the Word of God. Storms cannot limit the Word of God. Anything that happens to the universe from the universal scientific realm cannot limit the Word of God. But our wills can, and our wills do. Now, think of where it places us. Everything that is made has been made by the Word of God. Yet we have something inside of us that can limit the Word that had the power to bring creation into being and to bring our lives into redemption. God has given us the right to limit, to inhibit, to stifle and cancel the Word of God. Now think of that. Think that there's something inside of you today that has the authority over the Word of God for you. And the only problem, no matter what happens to our lives, the only problem that you can really have is limiting God's Word according to your thoughts your emotions, and your personality. When God said in Psalm 78 to Israel, you have limited the Holy One of Israel. Now, when you have been down and somebody came to you with the Word of God, inwardly you wanted to say, go jump off the lake. You didn't want to hear it. If you did hear it, you took it wrong because of a lack of humility. Problems provide a provision for the flesh. Problems become a provision for the flesh. Problems make the flesh personally involved in the will. Problems make the flesh personal. The flesh is general to the carnal-minded person until he's put into a serious problem. Then the problem personalizes his flesh so that he personally gets angry or personally gets jealous, or personally reacts, or personally resents. You see, it personalizes. Situations personalize rebellion. Situations personalize rebellion. A rebellious person doesn't become personal in rebellion until a situation brings him into a revelation of a root situation. Depression is the personal application of oppression. Insecurity is the personal revelation of unbelief and an uncrucified life. Competition 
is the personal philosophy reveal of the herd. It's your personal dissatisfaction with you versus other people when it's done in the flesh. Now, this is the reason that the Lord Jesus Christ came in person. So that God wouldn't be general or generalized. Jesus Christ came in the flesh to personally reveal that it's not Buddha or Mohammed or any God, but it's only Jesus Christ. God came in the flesh to reveal there's only one way to be saved and only one way to live victorious and there's only one way to go to heaven. He revealed a personal truth about God. And then he revealed God as the personal truth. Scores of people accept a personal Savior and then live generally in their Christian life and they make their Savior impersonal. And then their personality becomes impersonal with other believers. And instead of having a specific portion, they have a general relationship without a particular need or a particular provision for others. Christmas is the revelation of a personal God in the form of a baby. It reveals a personal family. A personal God, a personal Savior, a personal family, personal relationships, personal understanding, personal response, personal initiation, personal fellowship, personal love, personal joy, personal peace, personal patience, and a personal plan and a personal purpose. That's what Christmas reveals. Christmas simply makes everything personal. No other would-be God has ever become personal except Jesus. They established personal philosophies. And they became a great figure in personal history. But they never revealed a personal divine life. And they couldn't impart it. Because they were not that. There's not a one of us that cannot have the most enjoyable relationship with a personal God that we become a personal revelation a personal manifestation a personal provision a personal epistle personal and it's only going to come through every moment that I live for me learning how to become personally obedient. Communion with God, communication with each other more than ever before through organization, and then, after learning the art of spiritual communication, comes the art of the Great Commission. Winning souls, making disciples, building local churches through an organization, which is an organism. Only 300 out of 32,000 were used in Gideon's day. 300, less than 10%. 300 honored Gideon personally. As, God, as Gideon honored God personally. Only less than 10%. I'm sorry, that would be 3,000. But less than 10%. What would that be? 1%? 1%. Only 301% were able to qualify, listen to this, an offensive ministry. 1% had an offensive ministry and 99% had to go back and have a defensive ministry. 
the Bible says if Jesus Christ had not come, then people would have died in their sins. Jesus said in John 8:24, "Where I come, you cannot come." And he said, "You die in your sins. You die in who you've always been without transformation." Think of that. You die with a crowd that would rather have sin. You die with them, and you join them for the eternities to come. And you'll get old so fast, really. And you'll die and go into hell with your friends, he said. He said, the enemy comes to rob, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And I come to give life and give it more abundantly. Now, isn't that ironic? Think with me. The enemy says, do it my way and you can have life and pleasure. And don't do it God's way. They're all fogies. And God says, do it his way and you'll get robbed. He'll steal. He'll destroy. And he'll kill. God says, do it my way and I'll give you an abundant life. May I, let me ask you a question. Which do you believe? I'll never forget when I was first saved at a wedding in my hometown in West Sumner. They were having the wedding reception at the Grange Hall. And they had three or four hundred people. And I was newly saved and ready to witness. And I started on my brothers. And they said, of course. I was the youngest. They smiled, walked away, couldn't wait to get upstairs to mock what they had heard. They were mocking Loving me, but mocking the fact that I was bringing that up at a time when they were having some drinks. So I said to the couple to get married, you know, they were just walking in from their car to the reception. I said, the most beautiful thing in the world for you, Eddie, is to accept Christ. Would you consider it? He said later, this is what's happened to the people I spoke with that night. He divorced his wife and is shacking up with a drug addict. And he himself is a drug addict, though he holds his job. His father is totally afflicted. His wife left him and is shacking up with one of the workers at the place she's a supervisor. He's miserable, ready to die at a relative young age. The other couple is unapproachable in a filthy log cabin where they sin and drink and smoke pot and he works for Sears and Robux enough to get by. The other boy lives in town. He's 29 and he's a pronounced alcoholic but he carries out his job because he's a good worker. Every one of them are sick. Another one has a problem with his stomach, has cancer here. And he's just four years older than I am. And every single case, their destiny is sad, cruel, awful. And they look at me up here, being blessed totally of God physically. They see my kids sing on television. And every one of their kids, almost every single one, has come out totally bad. When I look back at that night, I think that was a night of destiny for them. I was newly saved. I was sincere in telling them they had to be saved. I didn't care if they were going to drink at reception. I didn't approach them negatively. I approached them as someone they always respected. They turned my message down. 
I believe that that little night at that Grange Hall marked their destiny. Their lives have definitely been shot. They're in hospitals, oxygen tents, cancer specialists, and they could have another 30 healthy years, probably, had they not gone that way. The price they paid for choosing the wrong decision. I'll never forget the man who I've told you this once in a while, but I, I like to say it because of the amazing thing it did to my life when I was only five years old in the Lord. He was drinking on a Saturday and I went to his house and I witnessed to him he'd been driving truck for many years for a famous milk company and I said, Sir, I just came today hoping that you would receive Christ and he said, You damn BB and all these names and he said, Who the H are you? Get the H out of here. And then he went around that little community, Milton Plantation, and ran me down. And please understand, it's not because it was me, because I'm a sinner, saved by grace. It would be the same if God wanted to, if I did it to Billy Graham, or I did it to any man. I have to always protect this because of the way people lie about a message. In other words, I'm dealing with the principle, not anything to do with us. So immediately... I got word when I went to that little chapel, I was on Cushman Bakery truck in the Gideons, pastoring up in Milton, assisting pastoring in West Sumner, going out all Youth for Christ and all these things. And I got to that chapel on a Thursday night and one of the faithful ladies said, the man that cursed you all over this town has cancer of the throat and he wants you to come to his house. I went to his house and he had this great big hole in his throat. He could not talk. I'm not saying this is why this happened. I'm just saying this is what happened. He wrote, my two girls are out every night drinking. I want them to go to your church. That's what he wrote on the paper. Hole in his throat. Another man we went to and we said, today is the day of salvation for you. And he said, when I get old and ready, I will. But he said, leave me alone. We were preaching on Sunday at 11 o'clock in Milton on the sermon entitled, Interview with Death. We said, this is an interview with the natural man that's dying. This is an interview with the carnal man that dies. This is an interview with the Apostle Paul or many spiritual men that die. And we dramatized what it could be like. We got a note at the end of that message. This man that said that homemade tractor he cranked it and came against his chest and they rushed him to the hospital in Rumford would you go immediately with his family his daughter was at church everybody prayed from that Sunday to Thursday noon until he died and they asked me to have the funeral he said I'll accept Christ when I get good and ready don't come back little did he know that he had a, an appointment with death approximately six and a half days from his rejection the only other time that anything happened like that to me was in Livermore camp meeting. And I wasn't the preacher, I was just there. And the evangelist, a man named Woodhouse, came down and he went to five people. The fellow was side of me and he said, Sir, he said, I've never done this before. But he said, Would you accept Christ? There was 500 people. He went way up back and I was just a visiting Christian. He said, Would you accept Christ? And the fellow said, No. And the fellow went right out with two girls and had a telephone pole. Twenty-two minutes later, and the guy instantly died. I'll never forget the whiteness on the evangelist's face as he said, I've never done this before. 
but I'm compelled to say, would you accept Christ tonight? And the fellow said, no. The effect that those three cases left upon my life was to be real, to go forward, to know the word, to serve, to be personal, and to live personally right. If any type of failure comes, instantly personally rebound and go on into a new height because of it in a personal life with God for people. Just remotely imagine what would happen if Christ had not come. The nights would be so dark. Sickness would be so ugly. Pain would be such a monster. Death would be so cruel. Purpose would be so meaningless. Desire would mean nothing. There would be an animalistic, wild, cruel, unkind, wicked world in its fullness. But he came. He came. Jesus Christ came. Died, shed his blood, reveal God, reveal mercy, reveal grace, reveal forgiveness, reveal his heart, revealed it, manifested it, promised it, sent the Holy Spirit, formed the body, did all of that. So what is life tonight? Every word of God is pure. And if Jesus Christ had not have come, if Jesus Christ had not died, if we did not have this gospel, it's worth more than a happy marriage, and a happy marriage is great and wonderful. It's worth more than a, than a large congregation or a good congregation, and that's wonderful. It's everything to know that we can be married to Jesus Christ. We can be married to Jesus Christ. He did come. He is here. He is real. His word is pure. Every thought is true. He is ours. We are His. We belong to each other. That's Christmas. Christmas is Jesus Christ coming for a beginning and we're the representation and the manifestation of Him still being here in an endless age. Well, Christmas. New Year's. It's all here. And it's going to leave me with one spirit and one attitude. And that's this. Hebrews 12. 3 says consider him considering him makes me considerate and the Christian community is one that is filled with consideration consider him when you're tempted to faint when you're tempted to be lonely when you're tempted to misunderstand consider him consider him and you'll be considerate consider him and your life will be filled with consideration of others an inconsiderate person is their own worst enemy. A considerate person is Christ's own best friend. And in closing, Christmas simply means Christ for the masses. Then it means the Christian masses for Christ. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations 
throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your donation at www.graceandpublic.com I'm always amazed at the Christmas season. There are some people who just love Christmas and they love everything about it. Some are believers and some are not. There are others that it's really a mixed, bittersweet time. They love some things, but it can be very difficult. And for others, it's just an absolutely miserable, agonizing time. And I think the issue that we're talking about tonight, the personal nature of Christmas, is really at the crux of that issue. Usually those, it seems to me, that are miserable during Christmas time are because they're alone or because there's some expectation of a relationship that isn't present, or they miss someone. Maybe they miss someone who's passed away or someone who's no longer involved in their life. And so all around them is joy of being together, and yet this personal relationship is missing, and so it's an agonizing time. And then there's, of course, the social pressures that are put upon a person, during Christmas time, if you're a parent or you have, feel you have family ob- obligations, of course. But I think, isn't this really that Christ came into the world? This is the celebration that we're celebrating, the birth of the Savior of the world. God himself became a man so that he could become personal to us. And a personal relationship with him could be established so that he could be known And all of the apostles in their writings and the epistles afterwards, Paul got to know God on the road when he was blinded. Peter got to know God. He touched and handled the very person of God in his relationship with Jesus. The scripture makes it very clear in Isaiah 1.18. God is saying, Come, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But that reasoning together with God is vital. There is no program. And if we're in the Christmas program, it can be a miserable experience. But when the Christmas season becomes personal, when the birth of Jesus Christ has great meaning to us because we know him, because he's made himself known to us, And we've received that great gift that he's given to all of mankind. Whosoever will could come to him and their sins would be washed away and they'd be made white as snow. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com This year, Christmas can be personal for you not circumstantial, not necessarily based on the relationships around you. Of course, we know those are important. No one is denying that. And yet, if the basis of our relationships with the people around us are that we happen to be related to them by blood or their friendships or they're romantic in nature, it's incredibly limited. And if it's on the basis of just us and them, then there's great room for tragedy and error and loneliness because we can't be fulfilled that way.
We've been made to have a personal relationship with God. And without it, life is miserable. Either at times or many for it becomes increasingly miserable. So the first step of having a relationship with God that is not circumstantial is receiving Jesus as your Savior. If you've never done that before, of course they talk about him being the reason for this season. But in truth, for you, if you've not yet received him as your Savior, he's the reason that you're lacking peace in your life. He wants to give it to you. He's missing from your life. So pray a prayer with me. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I know you came into the world, but I want you to come into my life. I believe that you are the missing part of my life. And right now I ask you, come into my life. Save me. Cleanse me. I believe you died. You were buried. You rose again on the third day. And you did it so that I could have that relationship with you. I and many others could know you and be related to you. And we could have joy together. I ask these things. I pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen.